Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us this day. Thank you that you have kept us. Thank you that you have preserved us. Thank you that you suffer no hurt, harm, or danger to befall us. I'm grateful that from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, I know that the name of the Lord is to be praised. We praise you. We bless and magnify you. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Father, it is in you that we live and that we move and that we have our being. I pray for these professionals. I pray for their families. I pray for their subordinates or their superiors in their systems of operation. I pray that the hand of the Lord will continue to rest upon each of them and let them be a light. Let them be a witness in their professional environments. Let them bring great pleasure to the heart of God, great fame to the name of God, which is Jesus. I pray that you protect them as they go and as they come and while they are in their workplaces and spaces. Oh God, use them to be what you said, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Use them as agents of reconciliation. Use them as peacemakers. You said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We give you glory. I ask you for innovation. I ask you for insight. I ask you for creativity in the lives of these. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we've been dealing with knowing your assignment, knowing your assignment or knowing my assignment. That's what God wants. He wants us to know our assignment. And listen, this is not being stuck on selfishness. No, this is the kind of emphasis that we should place on ourselves. Not about how much better we are than other people. You understand? Not about how we control or dominate other people's lives. No, but Lord, help me to know what you made me to be, what you created me to be, and what you are making me to be. The book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 19, remember, this is the Gospel of John, written by John the Beloved. But in this Gospel of John, we're reading about John the Baptizer. I just heard someone teaching uh, recently, and they referred to him as John the Immerser, uh, a Jewish brother. I enjoyed that. John the Immerser. And that's right. To baptize is to immerse in water or in whatever other element. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? Verse 20, and he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 
I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight in the, uh, the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet, he says, that is Isaiah. All right. And so when you read Isaiah chapter 40 and verse three, the Bible says the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And so he's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah. Remember that to know my assignment, I want to make sure that everybody knows this list of components and elements of knowing one's assignment. Number one, to know my assignment, it is prerequisite. It is it is necessary that I, number one, know my sender. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Know my sender. Number two, know myself. The prophecies that the angel gave and that later his father gave concerning John and then the understanding of the scripture, which John had, all of that is John knowing himself. And then knowing uh, that identity. Know my sender, know myself. Thirdly, know my superior. And in order to know one superior, one must know the system into which he or she is placed. Know my sender, know myself, know my sin, uh, my superior, which includes knowing my system. Chaplain Richardson, no human being. Now, Jesus was superior to John because he's superior to us all. But no human being is innately superior to any other human being. And so when we say know my superior, we're talking in the context of whatever system it is in which we're operating. Whatever position I hold, there is a position that is superior to mine. Okay? We're not talking about ranking worth. We're talking about ranking work. Okay? Make sure that's clear. God has never made another human being superior or inferior to any other human being. We all have equal value before him. But though we are equal in worth, we are diverse and distinct in work. So know myself, well, I'm sorry, know my sender, know myself, then know my superior, which includes knowing my system. Fourthly, know my skills, that is the gift set that God has placed within me. In the case of John the Baptist, he is a prophet, he is a teacher, and he is a baptizer. It is illustrated that he's a prophet because he was pr uh, predicted or prophesied to have been a prophet. And then secondly, we hear him both foretelling and foretelling the mind of God and the will of God. That's what prophets do. Prophets foretell and foretell the will, the word, the mind of God, the works of God. He is a teacher. I love the place in Luke chapter three where we get a glimpse into his teaching ministry. Um, the Bible tells us that he gives um, the 
publicans a word as to, to what to do, the soldiers uh, uh, instructions, the people in general, what to do. Not only that, but we know that he taught his disciples to pray because in the 11th chapter of Luke, the Bible says that Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Not only that, but we know he taught them to fast because in Matthew chapter 9, the Bible says that the Pharisees questioned him, said the disciples of the Pharisees and of, of John, they fast often, but your disciples don't. So John taught his disciples to fast, taught them to pray, and taught them to live lives that demonstrated that they were turning from iniquity and turning to God. Profound teacher. So he is a prophet. He is a teacher. He's certainly a baptizer. That's what we know most about him. That's the label he carries. We don't call him John the prophet or John the teacher. We call him John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And this baptism, as you know, baptism signifies a death, a death from the old life and an emergence and a birth into the new life. It also represents cleansing, cleansing from sin, cleansing from the past. Uh, baptism also represents identification. Um, whoever, whoever is the authority under which you are baptized, you are baptized into that person or into that authority. The Bible says that in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, those people who came out of the Red Sea, came through the Red Sea rather, under the cloud, they were baptized unto Moses. That is, Moses was the authority that God had uh, established as they were immersed in that water. They came through under the authority that God had given Moses. They didn't come through on their own authority. If they'd gone into that Red Sea on their own, they would have drowned, no doubt. But because of the connection that God had with Moses and Moses had with God, God authorized Moses to open the sea. The cloud came because Moses was walking with God in the prophetic anointing. And therefore, they were baptized, the Bible says, unto Moses. That is, they were identified before God as belonging to and being in and with Moses. The Bible says uh, that when we are baptized in the name or into the name of Jesus Christ, we are identified with Christ. We become identified with him. When the father looks upon us, he sees Christ. We are identified. That, that's one of the key aspects of baptism. Sometimes that part is not lifted up. The first parts I mentioned, the death, burial, and resurrection symbolism, uh, that's lifted up. The cleansing symbolism is lifted up, but many times the identification component of water baptism is not mentioned um, or not um, lifted up quite as much. But when you are baptized under an authority, you become identified with that authority. And, and, and with that being true, when Jesus was baptized by John, he was identified with John the ministry of John the Baptist. And rightfully so, because John the Baptist came as his <clears throat> forerunner, as the term is very often used. 
I love that identification part. When a man marries a woman, that woman is baptized into that man. I've given the illustration very frequently. I saw Brother Giles on here when when Elder Mahogany, whatever her maiden name was, when she was baptized, excuse me, when she was married to Brother Giles, she was identified with Giles. Whatever her last name was is good, but her most prominent legal name is now Giles. She is Mrs. Zachariah Giles. Even though she has her own name, but she, in her own identity, she is Mrs. Zacharias Giles. She is identified with him, as him, legally. And even as it's true that when one gets married, he or she, well, she is baptized into him. When we get born again, water, baptiz water baptism signifies that we are married to him. We have been identified with him as him. And uh, I realize that um, someone might say, well, you know, the marriage supper of the lamb takes place in eternity future. So how can we say that we are married to him when this marriage feast and all has not taken place? Well, remember this, that the economy that the word of God teaches to us and the economy from which the word of God teaches us is the Jewish culture, the ancient Jewish culture at that. And if you notice that uh, when Mary was still a virgin, the Bible says she was espoused. She and Joseph were espoused. Are you familiar with the word spouse? Spouse like husband or wife? They were espoused. That is, Mary had become his legal spouse. He had become Mary's legal spouse. And even though the marriage had not been consummated, even though they had not been physically intimate, even though they were not living under the same roof, they were legally husband and wife. So much so that the angel that spoke to Joseph in the dream said, Fear not, Joseph, to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that holy thing that is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. I'm in the book of Matthew chapter 1 around verse 20. And she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Okay? So, even though the marriage had not consummated physically and they were not living together domestically, they were husband and wife. Even so, though we have not been caught away yet, even though we have not received our glorified bodies yet, even though we have not gone to the marriage supper of the Lamb yet, the church is the bride of Christ. Pastor Hudgenson, good to see you. See that? And to become the bride is to be immersed into the identity. John the baptizer is John immersing people into identification with himself before God. It's really not about him. He's definitely not trying to pump himself up. But when they repent before God, they are identified with the baptism of John and the ministry of John the Baptist. 
All right. Know my sender. Know myself. Know my superior. Know my, which includes system. Know my skills. Number five, know my service. That's where we are right there. Know my service. Now, this is where it gets very heavy. It's all heavy. It's all heavy. As a matter of fact, those of you who are with us when we were talking about the prophet ministry of John, remember last week we went over a few minutes and talked about um, three dimensions of prophethood, Nabi, Kose, Roe, and Kose. Nabi, I wanted to say them in the order. Nabi, Roe, Kose, Nabi, the bubbling forth is what the verb literally means. So uh, that from which that word is derived. So the Nabi prophet speaks of the fact that he bubbles or she bubbles forth the word of the Lord. Roe is the word most readily translated seer. It's the individual to whom God gives visions and dreams supernaturally, uh, uh, unveiling his mind. And then thirdly, Kose, which is also sometimes termed seer, but is a broader uh, prophetic dimension that would include those minstrels that prophesy, and 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 in, in in my studies and in my meditation, Kose appeals to me as the one who intuits the mind of God, who knows the mind of God supernaturally in a moment. Listen, not necessarily a dream or a vision, not necessarily an utterance, but it's just that he or she just knows. He or she comes to just know. Five seconds ago, I didn't know. Now I know. All right. So I think all of the individuals on this uh, stream who are spirit filled, Holy Spirit filled, and you have been for some time, you've probably experienced all three of these dimensions of the prophetic that doesn't make me or you a prophet. Necessarily, you may be a prophet, but it's not because you experience this. You experience this because you're in Christ and you have his Holy Spirit. And anybody in Christ who has his spirit may prophesy because the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So Nabi is a spontaneous speech. Have you ever have you ever been in a situation where you said something? You did not rehearse it. You did not plan it, but it came out and it was so on point. It was so the mind of God. It was so appropriate. It was so articulate until you almost had to do a double take yourself. Like who said that? I didn't, I didn't even plan to say that. Where'd that come from? Okay. That's the Nabi experience in a measure. All right. Then there is the Roe experience. Obviously, he said, I part my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men, that includes women, shall dream dreams. Young men, that includes women, shall see visions. So all of us are subject to the Roe experience. And then thirdly, there is the not uh, the uh, Kose, excuse me. Well, yes, the Kose experience. And that is when just in the moment, I just know this is what I ought to do. Or this is what I ought to say. Oh, I heard those words in me, uh, whatever the case might be. It, it, it can be so subtle, S-U-B-T-L-E. It can be so subtle that, that you can almost miss it or you're left asking, was that God or was that me? 
Okay, if you are a believer, you've probably experienced all three of these dimensions in a measure. And if you are a prophet, you experience these and you could probably tell us if we had an opportunity to interview you, which one of these areas um, is the one that the Lord uses you in most. I like studying the uh, studying the life of uh, a certain prophet. I won't name him, but um, I love studying his life because he was definitely the Roe kind of prophet. I'm not saying he didn't have any Nabi experiences, but he visions, visions right, right behind one another. And, and they were also powerfully accurate. So uh, wonderful. Minister Hamlin, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right. Yeah. And see, if, if you're going to be, I, I see that um, looks like Pastor um, Bellamy. If you're going to be Nobby, then that's why you need to keep your mind. I'm not just talking about her. Now, I'm talking about all of us. If we're going to be Nobby, we got to keep our hearts and minds clean because we cannot afford to let just anything come out of our mouths and, and claim that's God. You understand the flow of the spirit of God can be inhibited, can be hindered, and can even be tainted can even be tainted. In other words, sometimes God really is moving, but there's so much of us in the way, I'm talking about carnal us, fleshy us, us that we, we contaminate what God is saying or doing with our own carnality. In other words, you can be giving an accurate word but how much of your own personality, your own temperament, your own attitude is playing into it? And did God give all of that or did you add to it? We can't add to it or take away from it. So that's one of the reasons why we need to be pure to the best of our ability, God, only God can make us pure, but we need to be pure. We need to be sanctified. We need to be consecrated because when the river comes through this riverbed, I don't want dirt to flow with it. My service. The question is, in knowing my assignment, know my sender, know myself, know my superior slash my system, know my skills, that is my gift set. Number five is know my service. I'm going to continue just to complete the list for some who didn't get it in the past. Number six is know my scope. Know the scope of my assignment. Number seven, know my schedule. Number eight, know my satisfaction. Uh, and number nine, it becomes number nine, um, know my successors. Okay. So let's go back now. Um, number five, this is perhaps the most critical one. Know my service. John, why are you here? Why are you baptizing and prophesying and teaching? You're not prophesying for prophecy's sake. You're not teaching for teaching's sake. You're not baptizing for baptism's sake. Why are you doing what you're doing? Uh John 
has two primary aspects of his mission. Two primary prongs of his mission. Let's look at um, some mission statements. I want to talk quickly, professionals. I want to talk quickly about vision and mission statements. A vision statement for a company, for a business, for an institution, organization, and they really are helpful. They're very helpful. Almost every prominent business that you know or know of has a vision statement and a mission statement and or. If they don't have both, they have and or. A vision statement, a mission statement. The vision statement is a statement of what the group, the organization will look like if it's successful or what the world will look like if the organization is successful. The vision. The vision statement is this is what the world will look like if we're successful or this is what we will be or become if we are successful. So sometimes the vision is an introspective. Sometimes it is a prospective vision statement. Um, as relates to mission now, mission statement is what do we exist to do in order to bring this vision to pass? What is it that we do which will bring about this vision? The mission is what we do. The vision is who we are or who we will become or what the world will have become. What we do, the mission, what will be the outcome, the vision. When I know my assignment, my assignment is my mission. So we're going to look at some mission statements. Um, I'm going to read a couple vision statements uh, as samples, but um, but the mission is the emphasis. Um, Oxfam, which is which is a a feeding organization, a uh, a philanthropic feeding of the hungry organization. Their their vision statement is a just world without poverty. I said they feed. They they deal with needy countries and needy demographics. All right, feeding America. A hunger-free hunger America. A hunger-free America. National Multiple Sclerosis Society. A world free of MS. The Alzheimer's Association. Our vision is a world without Alzheimer's. Do you understand that these are all um, those prospective vision statements? How the world will look if we're successful. How the world will look if we're successful. Now, notice this one, the San Diego Zoo, their vision to become a world leader at connecting people to wildlife and conservation. You notice that in their vision statement, they're not talking about what the world becomes, even though that's implicit. It talks about what they will become. NPR, National Public Radio, listen to his vision statement. 
with its network of independent member stations is America's preeminent news institution. So NPR says our vision is that we will be, not America will be, we will be. You see that? So a vision statement may be a statement of what the world will be if we are successful or what we will be if we're successful. Does that make sense? So uh, the mission, let's, let's, let's read a few mission statements, sample mission statements. I enjoyed this one. Tesla, the, the electric car manufacturers, you understand that uh, uh, Tesla and its, its uh, founder are, are prominently in the news to accelerate, this is their mission statement, to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Tesla says, our mission is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Amazon. Amazon says, our mission is to be Earth's most customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything they want to buy online and endeavors to offer its customers the lowest possible prices. That's Amazon's uh, mission statement. Notice that it's a little longer. Most mission and vision statements, that, uh, with most of them, there is the effort to be quite concise. Now read, read with me or listen to me as I read my, Nike's mission statement. I think it's very uh, informative, in, instructive to us. It's twofold. Bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Uh, but then there's a second piece. If you have a body, you are an athlete. If you have a body, you are an athlete. The reason why this stands out to me is because in stating if you have a body, you are an athlete, then Nike has just laid claim to the whole world as their constituency. Because everybody on the planet has a body. So according to Nike, their market is all 7 billion plus human beings. Nike just said, we are universally inclusive because if you have a body, you're an athlete. And uh, I saw Bishop Benjamin on him a moment ago. I hope he still is. Isn't it interesting? And those of you who uh, have studied and grappled with us as we've attempted to teach leadership, isn't it interesting that Nike does not say You've got to be NBA. You've got to be NFL. You've got to be on the school or the college football team in order to be an athlete. Nike says, if you have a body, you're an athlete. You may be a totally underdeveloped or undeveloped athlete. But if you have a body, there's an athlete in there. Isn't that something? That Nike understands what much of the church does not understand. And that is that leadership is not just for one segment or sector 
of human beings that God said, let us make man, humankind in our image after our likeness and let them, how many of them, all of them have dominion, leadership. When we teach leadership, we teach all human beings were created to lead. All inclusive. And many of the leadership uh, paradigms of our day, many of the leadership models of our day are exclusive. You're only a leader if you have this, 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 if you know ABC. Ladies and gentlemen, not according to the scripture. Leadership is your destiny. Just like Nike says, if you have a body, you are an athlete. God says, if you have a body, if you are a spirit created by God and your spirit and body join at a place called the soul, you are a leader. You may not be developed. You may be underdeveloped or undeveloped. But just as Nike says, if you have a body, you're an athlete. If you are a human being, you are God's leader. You are to wield and exercise leadership in some capacity, in some domain in the earth. And what would happen if everybody believed I am a leader? What would happen if all of our young people believed? I don't just mean they can spout it. I mean they genuinely believe that they're supposed to make lasting positive influence in some significant sector domain aspect of human existence. I think that it would do something for their self-image, uh, their self-respect, their sense of mission. Bless you, Bishop Apete, South Africa. Good to see you, sir. Does everybody understand what I'm saying there? These are such powerful principles. Nike gets it. And many in the body of Christ do not. That's why the Bible says the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of the kingdom. In other words, sometimes the outsiders get it when the insiders don't. Nike says, I'm going to go to it and come back. Nike says the scope of our assignment is every human being. If you have a body, you're an athlete. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. John says, this is my service. My service, what I'm called to do, is twofold. Prepare the people for Messiah. And then, prepare or present Messiah to the people. Prepare the people for the Christ. <clears throat> present the Christ to the people. He said, that's my job. <laughs> if I could use the term, it's far bigger than job. That's what I am to accomplish. That's the work, the utter work to prepare a people for the Christ and to present the Christ to the people. 
That's what I'm here for. That's why I prophesy. That's why I teach. That's why I baptize. Now, you, what's your why? What is the ultimate outcome of your living? What is it that you are to accomplish? That's that's the crux of the assignment. What is that assignment? Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's what he said in John chapter four. And then he said in John chapter nine, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Now, it was prophesied in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare. See, that's John's mission. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. When we look in the gospel of John chapter one, the angel of the Lord told Zacharias, his father, that when he would be born, that in verse 17, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people, a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. And his father in his prophecy, same book of John, he says in verse 76, and thou child shall be, uh, th this is Luke chapter one. If I said John, this is Luke chapter one. He says, and thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. You see that? Prepare, prepare, prepare. That's John's mission. But now let me take you to the second part of the mission. John chapter uh, one, John chapter one, go back to it. This is what he says. John says, in verse 33, and I knew him not, him being Jesus. John the Baptist says, I didn't become intimately acquainted with him in our early days. He says, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Up upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he <clears throat> which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Listen to what he says. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And of course, verse 29, before that, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So what is John doing according to the prophecies? Prepare, prepare, prepare a people for the Christ and then presenting Christ to the people. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. This is the Son of God. That's John's mission. That's John's mission. What about yours? And, and if we had to put John's mission in one word, it would be prepare. It would be prepare, prepare the people for the Christ and then prepare the platform onto which the Christ will walk and be presented. Jesus ministry could not have been as successful as it was 
if John had not come before him and prepared the hearts and minds of the people. John helped to build a level of anticipation, a level of consecration, a level of God consciousness in the people, a level of faith in the people, so much so that when Jesus came on scene, his ministry was received to a much greater degree than it would have been received had there been no preparatory ministry. Those of you that are prayer leaders in your ministry or uh, praise and worship leaders in your ministry, your function is parallel to the John the Baptist ministry. The preacher can preach without all of that, but your ministry helps prepare the people to receive the Christ coming through the mouth and the heart of the man or the woman of God. Notice even in, <clears throat> in, the, uh, in the entertainment industry that when there is a major concert or series of concerts, notice that the headliners, the, the big acts, the, the A-listers, notice that they don't come to the stage first. They don't come to the stage first. There is that preliminary, there's that opening act. There's that icebreaker individual. Maybe there's a comedian telling some jokes or what have you. All of it's designed to quote, warm the people up, we call it, but it's actually to prepare the people, to get them in a frame of heart and of mind so that by the time the main act, the A-lister, the headliner comes to the platform, there is a high level of engagement because the expectation level, the anticipation level has been built so well. Isn't it interesting, once again, that the world on the outside gets it when sometimes on the inside we don't. John the Baptist represents preparatory service, preparatory ministry. Uh, those of you who are educators, you will recall that you may not have gone through this particular uh, program with Malin Hunter and so-called PET, but um, there, was an, there was an aspect of, of, of that model called an, the anticipatory set. The anticipatory set. Well, you know anticipate means to expect. Set is talking about mindset. An anticipatory set is when you take the child before you give them brand new information and help prepare their minds to internalize that new information, one of the things you do is by just getting their juices going. Maybe some sort of fun game type, uh, type activity, but the purpose of the game is to get them thinking in a direction. So you choose the game according to what area or aspect of learning that you want them to be ready for. Then secondly, you connect prior learning, learning that they had before they got to this lesson, you connect prior learning to the present, all right? So that when they come to the new learning, they don't feel lost, they don't feel clueless, and they don't have this, this mindset that, oh, I can't attain this, I can't comprehend this. Because you've already, first of all, given them some provocative activities, and then secondly, you've linked the new learning with prior learning, the review and all of that. 
You follow? And so in doing that, you have induced and, 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 and produced in them an anticipatory set. Well, I want you to understand that when John the Baptist came forth, he produced in the people an anticipatory set because he said to the people, I baptize you indeed with water unto repentance. He said, notice that the whole country is coming out to where we are. This is so powerful. Even the government is concerned about what we're doing. He said, but there comes one after me who is mightier than I. Let me tell you how we compare. He's so mighty that I'm not even worthy to, to pick up his shoes and unloose the latchet thereof. You understand what I'm saying there? He said, if you think this is something, he said, the one that's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes. I baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. If you think being baptized in water has revolutionized your life, you wait till you get baptized with fire. Now, they knew he wasn't talking about physical uh, conflagration. They knew he was talking about supernatural fire, the, the Shekinah, the glory of God, mm, 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 the spirit of God. So what do you think happened in their minds when they say, wow, as great as John the Baptist is, there's somebody coming after him that he says he's just a peon by comparison? Oh, man. we So by the time he points out Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God, there are people who will accept Jesus just because John said so. There are people who will ex experience and receive what Jesus has to offer because John has given them an anticipatory set. Can you see that? So John's mission is to prepare the people for the Christ and then present the Christ to the people. Now that part right there, is so precious to me. I, I'm going to share that with you, but I'm not going to share it today because we don't have time and that does not need to be crimped. That does not need, need to be limited. But I have a precious word. Lord, have mercy. I have a precious word for you with regard to John presenting the Christ. And God willing, I will share that uh, either next Monday or in some session. But oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, it, it, it touched my heart so deeply. Preparing the people for the Christ, yes, but presenting the Christ to the people. So I want you to be ready for that when it comes. Let me just close by answering the question directly that um, Pastor uh, Craig put in the comments. And that is, when a leader departs, I think I saw uh, the question with um, when a leader departs from this life, uh, does that mean, yes, when leaders leave this earth, is it an indication that their assignment is complete? It should be an indication, but not necessarily so. Because although everybody might not agree with me, everybody might not agree with me, but I, I believe that the scripture says, and I can give you those verses later, that one can die prematurely, that one can depart out of season. And so if that person died prematurely or out of season, then there's no guarantee that that person's assignment was complete. But 
if he or she died in the will of God and died in the timing of God, then yes, that would suggest, listen, that would suggest that his or her part of the assignment is complete. Now, sometimes the assignment is to bring the agenda so far and then hand it off to someone else to bring it to the next level. Sometimes that leader is not called to fully complete it. Sometimes that leader is called to advance it. And then someone else is going to, Sister Woods, uh, to complete it. Sister Woods, I'm looking at, <clears throat> looking at your name. You're a nurse practitioner. You know that when people come to the doctor's office, the doctor doesn't uh, run in on them immediately. He sends in the nurse or he sends in uh, even the practitioner. And that individual does the John the Baptist. Right. Right. Does the John the Baptist. That is that nurse goes in and helps with an anticipatory set. Now, that might not be what they're thinking, but that's really what happens. There's a preliminary interaction before the doctor himself comes in. All of this is the same principle. That's why I'm telling you, and I continue to tell you, that kingdom of God principles work everywhere. Kingdom of God principles work in every sector of human existence. I don't know what it's going to take to get it over to the body of Christ, that we have far more power than we realize because what God has given us is relevant in every aspect of human existence. And if they knew that, instead of running from God, they would come running to God because now they realize that he's the one who framed all the right questions and he's the one who holds all the right answers. I want to thank you for giving me a few extra minutes to uh, respond, to, to, to round out and to complete this and to give Pastor her response. You're welcome. And until we meet again next week, God willing, at the appointed time, I want to encourage you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, let us bring pleasure to Christ's heart and let us bring fame to his name. Until we meet again at the appointed hour, may the peace of God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.